Hello, and welcome to the post-NFL draft version of the Jaguar Report podcast. My name is Gus Logue. I'm your co-host, along with John Shipley. John, how we doing? Ah, doing good. You know, we we had to let this simmer and let the board breathe for, you know, another <laughs> another two weeks before we brought the takes. But I, I, I honestly guess, like, you know, actually, like, wait, like, not giving, like, instant fire, like, reaction takes and actually waiting a little bit and going through how the rest of the draft played out because, like, I mean, just before we get started, just one example. When the Jaguars made, you know, like, I'll talk more about this later, but when they made the Devin Lloyd trade, I was like, okay, you know, obviously trading up for linebackers, whatever, but they didn't give up that much. It's because at the time I didn't see that, you know, two teams traded up right above them and gave, like, marginally <laughs> what they right? did. Yeah. yeah, like, the the Lions completely fleeced the Vikings. I forget exactly. I think it was two seconds to move up to, like, number 12 overall. Yeah, which I mean, sh- surely that's partly because of the weak quarterback class, so it didn't take as much to move up. I'm sure that was why we saw a ton of trades, or at least part of the reason. But and um, yeah, those. I mean, I think they just like per- we'll get there eventually, but I think they kind of clearly had their guy. Yeah, and don't call me Shirley. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's start. The Jaguars had 12 picks going <laughs> into the I'm night. sorry. I, 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 th- th- this <laughs> has been a, long, me- <laughs> a long draft process. I needed to get one. You're already out of my system. All over the place. Okay. Yeah. All right. They, the, the, ja- the Jaguars went into the draft with 12 picks, but fortunately for you and every other Jaguars reporter slash writer, they ended up only taking seven due to multiple trades. And the first pick was the most unsurprising one for sure, uh, especially before the last week of the draft when the hype was kind of trending upwards. But Trayvon Walker, Edge, Georgia, we all kind of saw it coming by the end, like I said. So, I mean, any post-draft reactions, John? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing, you know, like you said, was they didn't make 12 picks, which was one, I think, both the most notable thing about the draft and two, the thing I celebrated the most. Because, like, and like you said, they went, when they picked 12 dudes in 2020 and, you know, it was the COVID year, so they were doing everything from Zoom and everything from home. That It was absolute hell on earth. I was like, yeah, they were like picking guys every other pick and, you know, it was like sixth round, seventh round guys, you know, it, it was, it was, it was absolute hell. So I went into this draft hoping, you know, that they quite honestly, I was hoping they'd make some kind of like saints, Ricky Williams type trade. And, you know, what? let's, let's go ahead and pick two or three guys and call it, call this a draft. But with, with the Trayvon Walker pick specifically, Gus, I, you know, like you said, it, everybody kind of predicted it, you know, by the, by the end of the process, I, I know, you know, I was saying, uh, bet your mortgage on Aiden Hutchinson <laughs> for several weeks throughout the process. Gus is yeah. uh, if if you actually bet either the mortgage or any fiscal amount on me, I both apologize and sincerely hope that you never do it again. But I I will contend that you know we we Gus you know you and I specifically said throughout the entire process you know we thought okay it's gonna be Hutchinson or Walker it's not gonna be an offensive lineman and to me that was just like the team made it so obvious, like in free agency, like to me, like all of this was so obvious. And then, you know, a couple of days before the draft, uh, Trent Bulky gives a million reasons why, you know, he likes Trayvon Walker. And he basically says, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is, you know, he's a nice guy. He's, he's okay. And, you know, it, a bunch of people all the time were like, oh, maybe he's fostering, but no, it, it was clear how they felt about Trayvon Walker. And I'm not sure it bodes well for their ability to keep information in-house in the post-Urban Meyer era, considering every single national outlet had, you know, people screaming, you know, from the top of top of the hour that Balky and the Jaguars were enamored with Walker. So I like it, like 
people are maybe surprised that they actually went through with it. But when, you know, they said his name and, you know, number one overall pick, it wasn't like a shocking moment. Like, you know, like it wasn't like a Tunsil, you know, a bong moment. Right. You know, where like Dash everybody mask. was freaking out like, oh, man, how, how did this just happen? Like, no, literally everybody saw it coming. So I definitely thought it was, you know, basically as expected. The, the thing I found interesting was, to me, the biggest reason if you're going to draft a guy like Walker over Hutchinson is because of his versatility and how much better he fits in this game, you know, to go along with his massive, massive upside. And what's interesting is that I think one of the big reasons why Walker makes, you know, more sense to Jaguar scheme-wise than Hutchinson, you know, his ability to line up inside, especially on passing downs, you know, his ability to play multiple positions just like he did at Georgia. You know, the Jaguars, Trent Baalke, the first thing he said about Walker, you know, the night they drafted him was how much he lined up all over the place. But then they said, but we're going to have him learn one spot, you know. So it's it, it, it's odd to me that his versatility has basically been sold by them as the biggest reason why he was the number one pick. But then they go back to say, it, we're, we're not really going to move him around some. So I'm interested to see how he's actually deployed. But I think anybody who's surprised that he's being labeled as like an outside linebacker, I really don't think should be. Because, I mean, it, it's clear that, you know, he's an edge rusher at the NFL level. I mean, dude's. Dude's massive and he's a unit, but I mean, just look at him. He's he's not a five technique in the NFL, you know. He's a you know he's freaking pass rusher, defensive end. I mean, I think it definitely makes sense for them to start him at one position, since I mean, he said in his press conference that to all the haters who say he doesn't have like maybe the pass rushing moves or repertoire or production needed for a first round pick, his response was that he played all over the line and never really was able to learn one position. So obviously that's going to be helpful for a young player, but in the future and like a, down the road a couple of years from now, do you see like the versatility coming into play where he lines more as like a five tech or even more so inside on like a lot of downs or like maybe they just are going to be uh, kind of crazy on third downs. Do you think it's going to, so I guess my question is, do you think like what, what do I think like his ultimate role will be like eventually? Do, you, do I? Yeah. Do you think he's going to be at one position short term or long term as well? Uh, I think probably more likely short term. I think, you know, as you see players throughout the NFL, you know, as their careers go on, they're used, you know, in more and more ways, you know, like Miles um, Garrett and TJ Watt and stuff like that, you know, guys like that, they're used more creatively now than they probably were, you know, as rookies and they're getting their feet wet. So I'd imagine they you know keep it a little bit simplified for him you know as a rookie like obviously i don't think he's going to line up at you know outside linebacker every play i mean peterson even said you know the night he was drafted that there will be certain packages where he is you know lining up inside so i i do think his ultimate role moving forward is you know it's really how you see versatility in the nfl i think it'll still be at edge defender but like to me versatility is you know he'll play maybe a handful of snaps a game at certain positions. So he's still an outside linebacker, but he's somebody who, you know, he, he might not have like more than like five, 10% of his snaps at five technique, but he gives you that ability in certain situations and certain game plans to have that flexibility in your defense, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think part of the reason the versatility for him is so good is because he's not only like helps himself or gets help, for himself from other players, but he's really good at helping out other players, which is what we saw a lot at Georgia when he was used on kind of like bull rushes and stunts to free up other players. Absolutely. And so to be able to use him, not just for himself as a first round pass rusher, but 
but to help the rest of the team uh, will definitely be a good use of that versatility. So go ahead. I, and I, I really do wonder, like, I think drafting with this specific mindset in mind is probably a bad idea, but I do wonder how much, you know, playing in the AFC South specifically went into drafting a guy like him, you know, guy who, you know, he's a hulking presence. He's, you know, already an elite run defender. I think, you know, obviously drafting to stop the run and stop Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, et cetera, is, you know, maybe bad and a big picture idea. But at the end of the day, you know, teams, coaches tell their teams every single year, you know, the way, you know, to get to the playoffs and how we acquire in the offseason is through the division. You know, I remember Dave Caldwell used to say that, you know, how they set up their team during the free agency and the draft and what they targeted, like strength and weakness wise, they did it based off their divisional opponents. So I do wonder if that was maybe in play as well. Right. I've honestly never even considered that in terms of a team building strategy, just because on one hand, you'd figure that there's going to be enough randomness in the league that the three teams are going to be fairly different and you're going to need to prepare for like three different types of teams. Yeah, but, I, I I have no idea if it's an awful strategy or not. There's <laughs> like, like, definitely a good chance that you know building your team for six games at six six specific games a year is a bad idea. <laughs> right. Well, it's always good to keep as many variables in mind as possible. And I think I mean Bonky did say in one of the pressers last week that he likes big bodies, which we already knew. But he he also did mention, especially in this division, <laughs> which we already knew. The, what do you mean by that? No, but I mean, absolutely. And I think you saw it in this class. Like everybody they drafted is, you know, a, a big dude. You know, they they drafted, you know, a big running back. Walker's obviously big. Lloyd, he's a really long and, you know, big frame linebacker. Uh, Fortner, you know, he's uh, not the tallest center, but he's not a small center prospect by any means, you know, especially compared to some of the centers drafted this year. I mean, you know, Parham was a guy who, probably will play in the NFL, you know, around 295 pounds. And Fortner is obviously larger than that. And the cornerbacks they drafted were bigger guys. I mean, they obviously had, like, to me, last year's draft was a lot more random in terms of, like, archetypes because they just hit on so many different, like, positions and areas. Like, right. this year, I was like, okay, it's clear, like, what trends, you know, like, what what basically uh, the bulky front office, like, fetishizes, you know, in prospects, <laughs> you know. Like, they want, you know, big dudes and, you know, they like, Older prospects. 100%. Uh, the last thing I really have on Walker is I was thinking earlier today uh, of, like, kind of player comps for everyone. And I don't think this is a direct player comp, but I thought one comparison that would be interesting would be um, Aziz Ojulari from last year's draft class, who is an edge rusher out of Georgia. And the reason I think it's an interesting comp is because they have pretty similar uh, just prospect profiles in terms of I mean, since they're both Georgia edge players, they were both noted for their pro-ready run defense, yeah. their good hands, uh, their lack of pass rushing moves. Um, and so, obviously, I mean, Olazari ended up falling to the second, which I think was probably due to injury. Medical, he, yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's a difference between 1.1 and a second rounder. But do you see, like, a similarity, I guess? To, to an extent, I think. Ojolari, you know, he was a really physical player, but he was a, I, I think, you know, Walker probably has about like 20, 25 pounds on him. And that's after Walker's, you know, lost weight to play on the edge after coming in as a defensive tackle prospect. So yeah. I, I think, I think there are similarities in terms of their play style, you know, probably in a large part because of how Georgia, you know, coaches their defensive ends, like, you know, bets, you know, the one of the best, uh, 
posters, you know, around has said that, you know, basically Kirby Smart and all his guys, they don't coach their edge rushers to, you know, get, you know, flatten the edge and get after the quarterback. You know, they coach a certain type of technique where you're either holding the edge for the backside run or, you know, you're bull rushing, long arming and, you know, preventing the quarterback from scrambling out, which you saw on an Audulari's tape, just like you saw on Walker. So in terms of role, I think they're somewhat similar. In terms of skill set, I mean, outside the physicality, I felt like Audulari was honestly kind of like and got like a more physical and gawkway type prospect because he was a guy who, you know, he was really bendy. He was good at getting under guys. He wasn't the biggest guy. I, I, I really think Walker can be like, you know, genuinely a Daniil Hunter or Rashawn Gary type prospect because, I mean, there's just his blend of size and explosion and fluidity is absolutely unreal. Like, like the obviously it was funny when, they drafted him how the highlights were like the same four or five plays that yeah. we've seen. But the, the play, you know, against Georgia where he drops back in the zone and tips the pass. I mean, that, that's a crazy play for a guy who's basically 280 pound defensive tackle in college to make. Like that's, that's insane. He, he dropped better than Hutchinson did at 25, 30 pounds lighter. And to me, that's, that's the appeal of him. I mean, to be fair i'm pretty sure that pass was coming from memory gems but it was definitely a sick play it, it was coming from a gated quarterback it, it was it was doubtful i oh, know anthony richardson will, anthony richardson I is know. the truth he, he'll he'll be the exception just like yeah. the last 15 guys were but i was i was not on trask i was not on jones but i'm on richardson right, so you were, just keep you were that on, in mind you love kyle trask <laughs> so let's let's keep let's let's keep it going past the uh buccaneers third string quarterback <laughs> all right so we got 1.1 covered. Um, I was more interested going into the draft, far more interested in what the rest of the teams were going to do and how that is going to impact Jacksonville's 33rd overall pick. Um, then I was interested in what they were going to do at one since we knew it was going to be Trump, Trayvon Walker. Um, but they ended up not even waiting around until Friday. They traded up and sent the first pick of the second, fourth, and sixth rounds to Tampa Bay for number 27 overall to pick. Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd. Um, Balky kind of hinted that they were like keeping an eye on him and almost like planning on trading up if he did fall. So, like, I think that this was almost not the like, as I just said, I didn't know it was going to happen, but yeah. I think that he certainly knew it was going to happen. So, I guess, what are, your, what are your takeaways? What do you think about like the trade value and then the pick and the fit? That, that, this was something I probably if I had like one thing I missed about the Jaguars plan this year, it was the number 33 pick. I thought it was more likely they would trade down from 33 after, you know, sitting on it for a night and listening to teams, you know, call about it. than it was that they would trade up into the first round. I was, I was, I was surprised on draft night when, you know, I saw, you know, notification Jaguars have, you know, moved back into the first round. Cause I just, I, I didn't think that they would be so aggressive to the point where, you know, this was a move that obviously, you know, they had, you know, two other third round picks and other picks to play with and then they made this move. But when you see a team make this move, you're kind of thinking to yourself, okay, they think they're like a linebacker, like this player away from, you know, reaching a specific goal. And the Jaguars very much are not, you know, Devin Lloyd away from, you know, becoming, you know, any, you know, type of contending team or anything for as good of a prospect as I think Lloyd is. I thought Lloyd was the second best linebacker in the prospect. Uh, prospect in the draft behind Nicobe Dean. If you added Dean's medicals, I think, you know, Lloyd, great case to be the first linebacker drafted. I was surprised that he was still available at 27. I thought he'd go like in the 20 to 25 range. I thought New England would take him before they traded down. And 
uh, no, uh, Mark Long with the Associated Press tweeted that the Jaguars thought that uh, the Patriots were going to take him at, you know, the Cole Strange pick at 28 if they didn't take him. So I get to an extent, you know, why they moved up. Obviously, you know, you think your guy's going to get taken. Uh, Lloyd, to me, just in terms of the valuation of the player, I think he's absolutely worth the first round pick. Uh, he can do a ton of things from the linebacker position. I I don't think the Micah Parsons comparisons make sense because he does he doesn't play like Parsons. You know, he's not as explosive moving forward. He's not as compact as Parsons is, but he's super rangy, you know, super wide frame, really good in coverage, really good at blitzing, you know, especially when mugging in the A and the B gaps. As a player and as a fit in Mike Caldwell's scheme, I think it's a great fit. I, I really think he's the kind of linebacker who's honestly made for this scheme. In terms of the actual trade itself, it, it, it's hard for me to think that it's, you know, a trade that that's, that it's a trade that's particularly, you know, worth defending. Like I, I get, you know, wanting to move up for your guy. And if Devin Lloyd ever makes a pro bowl, then, you know, people probably won't care that the Jaguars gave up a fourth and sixth round pick to get him. But I have two points to count that with, you know, when you look at the bills moving up in the first round and the jets moving up, you know, from the second round to the first round, neither one of them had to give up really nearly as much as the Jaguars did to go from 33 to 27. And then look at what the Buccaneers did with that draft fall. You know, they got Logan Hall at 33. They got Kate Auden, uh, tight end from Washington, at with the fourth-round pick the Jaguars gave them. And then they used a sixth-round pick to move up from the third round back into the second round, take Luke Godecki from Central Michigan, who's one of the best guards in the draft, will probably start week one at left guard for them. Basically, if you're telling me if I can have, you know, Kate Auden, Logan Hall and Luke Gadecki or Devin Lloyd, you know, I think Devin Lloyd's an awesome player, but g- give me the former. That, I mean, that's just, that's just my philosophy when it comes to building teams. Like when I saw what Tampa Bay turned out trade into, and then the second trade the Jaguars did Tampa Bay got Zon McCollum out of it. So I was just like, man, that Tampa Bay is just, you know, taking the Jaguars to the cleaners and trades. And so I thought Lloyd, you know, he's a good player, but I hesitate to call it a good pick just because, I mean, this linebacker heavy of a draft, you sign a linebacker in free agency. I'm not sure it, you wouldn't have been better off just waiting, you know, at number 33 to make your pick. I think instead of it being the case of like they have one position in needs so that are going to go after it and be aggressive, I think the case was more so that Lloyd was such a high rate prospect for him that he was like just above and beyond everyone else. And so to get this guy that's like so highly rated in an area when there's like a bunch of still obviously very good prospects just not on that same level I think they just wanted to take advantage of what their board value was yeah. uh, and like which I think is fair based on like what I've seen and read about Lloyd because he has really no flaws as a player he's just very good at everything like his I feel like his flaws like he's not as good at some things as he is great at others yeah um, as you said maybe he's not as like physical or explosive as Parsons and he's not as good um, or he, he does have some flashes, but I wouldn't necessarily count on production from him off the edge as a rusher, but I do think he has some just overall rushing capabilities, especially from the mugged gaps, the, like in the a gap, I think yeah. we could see him a lot, especially cause I mean, I know it's a different coordinator and different defense, but we saw miles Jack and Damian Wilson there a lot. So, and I mean, I, mean, I can, I can picture Lloyd perfectly and like Kevin and like Tampa Bay's defense playing like the Devin white role, you know, or like that, you know, just that linebacker that, you know, is blitzing from all different parts of the field. Like you said, I think he's, you know, a guy who 
I think will get at least a couple sacks a year, just, you know, from his pure athleticism and tackle radius coming up, you know, the AMB gaps. I, I think his edge rushing is more complimentary than, you know, like you said, like, like I, I don't think he's like Micah Parsons to where, you know, Micah Parsons, you know, it turns out, Hey, can actually play edge full time. And Hey, is maybe, you know, it's like a top five edge rusher in the entire NFL. Whereas Lloyd is yeah. a guy who you can play there some snaps, but his main position is going to be long. Yeah. Complimentary is a good word for it. Uh, and then in, t- <laughs> in terms of the trade, I my first reaction was just, well, there's one less pick that can be used on a tight end or a receiver. Two, Two less picks. Well, I mean, I didn't really care about anyone with the 180. Yeah, pick, no, nobody but... cared about the six-round picks this year. So, I mean, it's just like after day two, I kind of like lose interest. Yeah. And like I'll, st- I'll still look at the names and who they drafted, but I'm not – since I don't recognize them, I'm not as invested. I understand. But, like, 106, Kate Otten was, like, genuinely probably, like, one of four offensive position players I would have loved for the Jaguars there. Yeah. Um, But even, like, with that being said, like, I think the Jaguars just had Lloyd as such a safe slash perfect prospect that it was worth it to them to give up, I mean, a day two for someone who fits a huge role, is a very high character slash culture guy probably going to play it for a very long time just based on his skill so i like i I think i'll get grade the grade the pick better than you just because i mean unbustable is the worst word ever but i think it's just his floor is pretty outrageous yeah no i i I do think his floor is really high like i said i i would grade the actual pick of the like the actual player himself you know and his talent better and i would grade the process for the pick you know what i mean like I, i i don't have any problems with taking him in the first round as a player like i I think he's a good, like, just a good football player. And I think he's going to be really productive uh, for the Jaguars. And I, I, I guess my hot take is I it wouldn't surprise me if he's the, the best linebacker by midseason. Yeah. Oh, it, it wouldn't surprise me either. That was no. all, another reason that I liked the pick is just that, like, um, Foyer, the linebacker signee free agent from the Falcons. Like, I think he's a good player. You don't lead the NFL in tackles without being a good player. But I wasn't I wasn't necessarily like kind of blown away by the signing either. Yeah. So I, I wasn't opposed to adding to the position early. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. It 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 always seemed like they were destined to take a linebacker, you know, with their second pick. You know, I it, yeah. whether it was at 33 or not. And, you know, once Quay Walker went to the Packers at 22, it kind of seemed like okay, they were like, okay, you know, dang, you know, Nakobe's falling for whatever reason, like you know, Lloyd's the last guy we have a linebacker that we see as like, you know, a starter guy ready to go. Right. That's actually a good call because um, Quay was taken at 22 to the Packers. And yeah. Then and then Bal- Lloyd was Bal- Yeah. Balky said pick 24 after the Cowboys is when they kind of consider trading up. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they even had just like both of those guys as like, they're just top two that they wanted. And if maybe if like Lloyd was at 22, then they would have felt comfortable trading up for Walker and doing the same thing, honestly. It, it was like a linebacker, no matter what, but in, yeah, of, like yeah. <laughs> one of these two, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I, I, I think that's true. And hey, if if I thought anything about the Jacksonville Jaguars after last offseason, it's that they needed more linebackers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but they, 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 they needed linebackers bad, but it's just it was it, it's been funny to me to think about like how disgusted you know Trent Balky and 
Doug Peterson's staff must have been watching back last year's tape of like Miles Jack and Damian Wilson. Like they must have just been absolutely revolted because they just oh complete God. they just completely, you know, they pushed a nuclear button on the linebacker room. It's and they, they went absolutely mad with it. I mean, I certainly didn't enjoy watching Damian Wilson and Miles Jack last year, so it makes sense to me. You didn't enjoy watching Damian Wilson? Oh gosh, John. Oh god. He was better in the second half. I'll give him that. He was Genuinely startable player, but I don't know if that was true in the first half. Uh, that hey, and 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 Jaguar standards that gets got an extension. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a free agent, right? Nah, he's with the Panthers. Yeah. All right. Well, first round's over since they traded thirty-three. The Jaguars didn't have a second-round pick, so their next one was sixty-fifth overall, which they used on Kentucky center Luke Fortner. Uh, John, in your post-draft mailbag, you gave out grades for your prospect, and this was the only A that you gave. So, why? Yeah, no, I, I thought, you know, in terms of process, like, that, there obviously wasn't anything, you know, sexy about this pick. And, yeah, you could have taken, you know, a, a receiver or a tight end here. But I thought Fortner was the second-best center in the draft. I actually liked him more than Cam Jurgens. I know that's, you know, a hot take with Jurgens widely being seen as, like, you know, the second-best guy behind Linda Baum, but I, I just think Fortner is, you know, a really good run blocker, a sound pass protector. He's really active, really physical. Uh, he's clearly, you know, really smart. He has versatility. You know, I think taking a guy like that who has, you know, center guard versatility, can start day one, has, you know, really all of the traits in terms of on-field play and athletic benchmarks that you want. I mean, it, it just, to me, drafting a player at a position of need, of his caliber at 65, which to me is exactly where he should have gone. I mean, that's just to me how the process should go. Like that, that that's to me, you know, like a, the example of a good draft pick, you know, like position on need, the player is valued correctly. He's a good player. To me, they, they didn't have a pick that was a better process than that one. So you weren't surprised that they didn't take Memphis's Dylan Parham over him just because that was kind of the name that I feel like I heard as a strong possibility for him. I'm, I'm not because it seems like that center was more of a priority than guard. And I think Parham is probably more of a guard in the NFL than Fortner. They, they said, you know, a big thing with Fortner was he did everything uh, in the running scheme at Kentucky that they do here in Jacksonville. And I don't think the same could be said, you know, really for Parham. You know, he played in an NFL-type scheme in Kentucky last year. You know, their offense coordinator is obviously now with – the Rams. Uh, he's the next Sean McVay best friend guy. So <laughs> I, I think that, you know, at the, the end of the day, Fortner makes sense as a fit. You know, they obviously showed Parham a ton of interest, but Parham went like 30 picks later. So I, I don't think it, it was overall that generally surprising. Right. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting about Fortner is that even though he's an older prospect, um, he's only started at center for one year. So he's older and he doesn't have really elite athleticism but he still kind of has potential since he's been at the position for one year. And he's, uh, from what I've heard, he's just more of a super cerebral and mental guy and probably just killed every interview he did. And like you said, I'm, I'm sure that'll help him be able to probably potentially start from day one. Yeah, no, I, 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 I like, this obviously seems, you know, like a bit, you know, short reaching because he was just here and just retired. But I mean, if you look at like his metrics, other than height, 
he matches a lot of Brandon Linder's own metrics. Like Brandon Linder was somebody who I think we would call, you know, an athletic lineman when he was on the field. He didn't really test well at all. And then, I mean, you know, you look at Linder's scouting report, you know, like his from Lance Sierland from 2014, it basically reads the exact same as Fortner. So I, I do think there are, you know, some potential, you know, kind of similarities there. For sure. And I think like even in style of play almost, or like, I guess traits maybe a better word just in terms of like, I think leadership and competitiveness yeah. and smarts and versatility, as you said. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, I mean, about everything else, reliability. Yeah. It, it's Which, definitely, it's definitely not a sexy pick, but they need to add somebody, you know, to the interior line, like a young guy they could develop. So it, it, to, to me, and like I said, he went exactly where I think he should have like top of the third round is exactly what I thought of when it came to look for I didn't have any like pre-draft takes on him in terms of where he was where he was going to go, but I definitely wasn't surprised to see an interior lineman taken on uh, in the third round after we weren't surprised that a linebacker was taken with our second it, pick. It's funny how we basically said, you know, for it felt like months that the first three picks are going to be edge rusher, linebacker, offensive lineman, and that's exactly what like like they they're not a hard team to figure out. You know, this was all very obvious, right? Which is. I don't know. Interesting just because they have so many needs. They're one of the worst teams in the league. So you can call almost any position that they have a need, but it's still fairly predictable. Yeah, 100 percent. They they don't hide their cards, you know, especially especially. Well, I remember after the Tyreek and Devontae trades, I, I tweeted something like, so what do you all think at number 33 inside linebacker or interior offensive lineman? And that went on to be, you know, <laughs> their next two picks. So. Definitely, right. like I, I obviously feel like in free agency they tried to sign so many guys to fill you know as many holes as possible so they could kind of draft however they wanted. But to me, it was obvious that there were a couple of positions that they were like, okay, we couldn't do this in free agency, so we have to do it now. Right, and I honestly feel like the Zay Jones signing, like since then, like I, I wouldn't have been surprised for the Jaguars to not take a receiver in day one or two. I was a little surprised they didn't take one day three, but then ended up with a UDFA who seems pretty solid that we'll get to later. So yeah, Kevin Austin was just one of the six round picks that they didn't make. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. The first one that did catch me off by surprise was Wyoming linebacker Chad Muma being picked 70th overall, which was kind of just a roller coaster of emotions for me when I saw his name because I was shocked to see a second linebacker being taken, at least with picks two and four, rather than something like picks two and like nine that they had going into the draft. Um, and like you, I know you did call linebacker being one of, I think you said that in interior line with the two that you could see being taken or double dipped in this draft. But I mean, two top 70 picks on a linebacker after getting one $15 million a year in free agency is a lot of investment at the position and a position that isn't valued very highly by hashtag the analytics. But I've been moved mocking Muma to the Jaguars all off season. And because I think he's a very good player. He's so awesome. when, you can get, when you can get a very good player in the third round with your second third round pick, like it's why, why not? It's, it's such a Jaguars pick. There's so many reasons why it's bad, but he's awesome. Like it, like it, it, it's <laughs> one of the two reasons, like either you shouldn't pick this awesome player, but he's awesome. Or you should pick this great player, but take a bad one instead and, you know, try yeah. to have some copium to convince yourself it worked out. You know, we call that the Marquis Lee syndrome. But I, like, 
there's so many reasons for me to completely crap on the Muma pick, and I can't, I, I can't, because he's awesome. Like he's I, a good player. Yeah, I, I, if they took him at 33, I would have said good pick. Yeah, agree. I would, especially because we were already predicting it. If they took Muma and then, like, a guy that was actually projected to the third round, then like, if they puked. instead of trading up for Lloyd, if they took Muma at 33, Fortner at 65, and let's say Greg Dulcich or Jalen Tolbert, number 70. Do you like that more than what they did? No, and that was actually one of the things I was going to say is one of the reasons I it did end up liking the Muma pick so much is that I just think he was clearly the best player available. Like, I didn't really like any of the skill position guys left, at least in terms of receiver and tight end, yeah. which were kind of the two I was thinking of. But, like, KDOT and I mentioned, um, and then Daniel Bellinger were kind of two mid-round tight ends that I was keeping an eye on. But, like, I, I wasn't surprised to see them not take a tight end in the middle rounds. And then the receivers just, like, weren't interesting to me. Like, I, I watched Tolbert. He was pretty underwhelming to me, honestly. Like, I think he's just a poor man's chark. Um, he's not somebody who would have changed, like, the face of – No. Uh, like, uh, like, to me, if you're asking me who's a better player, Chad Moomer or Jalen Tolbert, like, it, it's not close. It's not close. Yeah, okay. so, Let's see. The player's taken right after Moomer. Velvis Jones. He, I realize he just had his 35th birthday yesterday, but he, he's, he's Abraham. <laughs> Lu- yeah. Abraham Lucas. He's decent, but I, I he's probably Moomer. old enough to be the, the yeah. or to have a third child now. Exactly. Abraham Lucas. He's solid, but I take Moomer over him. He, he's an offensive tackle. Jelani Woods, I think was overdrafted by two rounds. You know, I, I, I don't think he has the tape of a top 75 pick, let alone a top 120 pick. Uh, Desmond Ritter, not taking quarterback. Christian Harris, no. Travis Jones, I mean, they have enough, you know, defensive tackles. Uh, Bernhard Raymond, I could have seen him. And then it was like, like to me, it was like, it was Raymond, Dulcich, and Tolbert, if you're not going to pick Muma. And while I would have understood any of those guys just because of how bad their offense was, I still think Muma is the better player. And I think at that point in the draft, you know, that probably is how you should draft. It's just uh, th- their reasoning for it after the draft being, you know, not only best player available, but you can never have too many linebackers. I, ju- I just want to say <laughs> you can quite literally have too many linebackers. Like, it's, yes, you can. You, you can't have too many pass rushers. You can't have too many receivers. You can't have too many offensive linemen or defensive backs. Other than specialists, it seems like linebacker is the one position in the NFL that you can have too many good players at. Like, you just you just don't need that many good linebackers. Right. I mean, it's going to be super interesting to see, like, just what happens the next couple of years because I feel like it's going to be – like, it could end up being great and, like, maybe all three guys are actually right. like, significant contributors and all play out their, like, full contracts and yeah. even get more. Or it could be on the other side where it's, like, it's almost going to be Cam Robinson – and Joel, or Cam Robinson and Walker Little again, where you applaud the Walker Little pick for taking a good player, even though there's already starters at that position. My God, he but really then, he really is just this huge Walker Little pick. Yeah. I, I just had my moment of euphoria. Wow. So you, you, I, I had not even thought about that till now. I mean, Little, same way. I think Little is an awesome player, but I'm just a year right. later, I'm asking myself, why exactly did you take him when you did, when you could, you know, you had so many other, obviously, Little starts if he starts the right tackle this year and is a good player that changes the conversation but god that's a great i hate that comparison because that, that that's a good and that's a good comparison okay damn, so now one one thing you. that 
They were both the <laughs> okay. fourth player taken too. All right, I'm jumping back and forth on the fence though. I'll, get, I'll, I'll offer a counter argument to my counter argument, which is Damn that me. there's kind of some hot buzz on Twitter because Chad Muma has been labeled the money backer for the Jaguars. Gosh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, you don't get it. They they invented a sub package linebacker just for Chad Muma. It's <laughs> it's never been done before. It's definitely not been around since the 2000s. No, but no. Deion yeah. Buchanan is that the guy? Yeah, Deion Buchanan, and I saw people saying they were surprised that it's not going to be uh, Foyer because he used to be a safety or Devin Lord because he used to be a safety. Deion Buchanan Chad was, used to be a safety. Yeah, and Deion Buchanan wasn't a safety. He was basically a linebacker. He, yeah. He, no. he, he was a dime linebacker, a quote-unquote money backer, which, again, you're just the third coverage linebacker. It's not anything special because he couldn't play safety because he was terrible yeah. at it. Literally, and you know why Fourier and Devin Lloyd aren't the dime linebacker? Because they're your starting linebackers. Mm-hmm. God, that, that that triggered me. I saw that quote. And it, it it absolutely jokerized me. I was I was Arthur Fleck in the, in the <laughs> I was you just wouldn't get it, guys. I was enraged by that. I, I I was I was ready to I deleted like six different tweets about it. Being like, <laughs> congrats to Chad to the Jaguars for inventing, you know, uh, the defensive weapon position that's been around for several like obviously the Jaguars didn't mean that, but just the reactions to it I saw. I was like Come on, money backer. I mean, money you gotta admit, it's a pretty incredible name. I mean, I get a little fired up about it. Money backer is gonna go next to auto. <laughs> what's uh, what enough, what's enough, good- uh, enough with the money backer? Like, like, what is the dark night when it's- the guy's like, enough with the clown, like, enough with the money backer? I, I, <laughs> if I see money, ma- money backer again on the TL when referring to Chad Muma, there will be no mercy. Okay. Yeah, I've given you my I've given you my spiel on that. But hey, good player though. Uh, Like I said, yeah, I'm questioning why the Jaguars think that they needed you know two linebackers and, but I think Chad Moon was awesome. So um, yeah, I'm I'm not going to criticize him too much for it, even if I probably should. And the money backer point is just the fact of like added versatility. Yeah. Or like not that he's going to line up as a split. No. But like he's really good in coverage. He's really good in coverage, and Lloyd is really good in coverage. And, like, Foyer, I think, is just, like, more fast than good yeah. in coverage. But, like, you got three pretty dependable guys. That, you, you, it's not like you have three Damian Wilsons. And that, that's the thing. They, when they took these two linebackers, it's not like they took, like – I know he had a good year last year, but it's not like Nick Bolton where they're taking, like, a one-dimensional type guy who's, like, a right. run stuffer. You know, they're taking – like modern linebackers so they're taking the right kind of linebacker and but to me if there's anything i'll say about the first four picks this year last year it wasn't until the jordan smith the jordan smith uh luke farrell jalen camp picks where i was like okay you're you're just burning draft cards you know at, at the podium at this point uh quincy williams was an example of that where you knew once the pick was made that you know okay that's probably a bad pick for me, the first four picks this year, they, there were none where I was like, oh, wow, that player is that, – that's just clearly, you know, a wasted pick. So, obviously, that's not the highest praise, but that's marginal improvement, baby. No, I completely agree. That was my, like, overall take, too. It's just that, like, I think objectively the Jaguars drafted four good startable players yeah, they, at the end of the day. Yeah, they, they didn't draft a – like I hate using it in this way because you know it's not his fault he was a third round pick, but they didn't they didn't make a Quincy Williams pick. Yeah. All right. So let's go on to the Quincy Williams pick. Fifth round, Ole Miss running back Snoop Connor. The Jaguars traded up 
188 and 198 in order to get their guy. And th- um, th- this was after trading from 157. They traded 157 and a seventh rounder to get a 2023 fourth rounder, which is with the Buccaneers. So that's basically it's a late four. So it's basically like a fifth rounder. Right. So they traded away and then yeah. they traded up. Yes. But they traded their fourth and then, yeah, because Snoop was a fifth. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they, they had traded the fourth for uh, Devin Lloyd. Right. So, Snoop Connor, I had never heard of him. I actually liked <laughs> um, Jerry on Ely was an Ole Miss running back who's, like, basically the opposite of Snoop, or if, like, Snoop is the early down grinder, Ely is, like, the pass-catching kind of scat back. And yeah. so I thought, I thought Ely was, like, worth a look on day three or as an undrafted free agent, which he ended up being, and he signed with Kansas City as just, like, kind of a depth reception guy piece um but they ended up going the opposite way and got snoop who they believe can play all three downs has special teams value can start right away based on his production and his experience i mean i think that even though i hadn't heard of snoop and maybe a lot of other people hadn't that like they clearly wanted a certain type of running back so i almost think it was like when they trade up for lloyd where it was like there's only like this kind of like tier that we're interested in and so I think I actually saw an article, I forget what it was, but where they were interested in trading up um, with the Ravens, I think, also yeah. earlier in the fifth round. And with that pick, the only running back I think that came off the board after that pick and before Snoop was uh, BYU's Tyler Algier, Alligator, whatever his name is. It would have been a really good pick, I think. He was the guy yeah, he's another back who's like like that. Yeah, but I thought he was, like, a fifth-round guy, where Snoop was probably, like, a seventh-round guy. Yeah. Um, so, all that being said, were you surprised? What, what were your reactions to the Snoop pick? Uh, I, I, I wasn't surprised that they took a uh, running back. I did, they are obviously – you know, I, I, I said throughout the offseason that where I expected them to target a running back was the fifth round. You know, I'd heard that all offseason, that fifth round's when they want to start looking at running back. You know, they want to handle their other needs first, and they want to find that number three guy – uh, I'd heard that they wanted, you know, that kind of grinding skill set, you know, a guy who can play all three downs, but a guy who can get the tough yards in the middle, you know, can go in there, you know, short yardage downs, a guy who, you know, he, he's similar type skill set to James Robinson in some aspects and play style. You know, obviously he's not James Robinson, but he's more similar to James Robinson than he is to ETN. And with, with James Robinson still recovering from his Achilles injury, you know, they obviously want somebody closer to his play style than ETNs to bring, you know, to camp and into the season. So it didn't surprise me that, you know, they picked a running back there and that Connor, you know, was the type of running back they picked. I was surprised because Connor wasn't somebody I watched pre-draft. He wasn't on my radar. I, I didn't watch my first Snoop Connor film until after the draft. Uh, I gave him, I think I gave him a sixth on my scale. So I think he's, you know, about in the range of where he should have gone, maybe around early, but the guys taken after him, Kyron Williams, I really liked, but he was more of a pass passing down back. So I'm not surprised they pass on him. Ty Chandler from UNC. I think, I think looking back, it will, it could very well be seen as a pretty big blunder trading up for Snoop and taking him over Ty Chandler. I think Chandler could be one of the best backs in this draft. And that's probably my biggest complaint with it. And it's just also, you know, you're, you're trading picks. I know, you know, six round picks, they don't mean anything, but at this point in the draft, more, more picks is important than, you know, 
you got to trust the odds over your ability to scout because we've seen time and time again, you know, that there's strength in numbers as opposed to, you know, strength and evaluation. You know, the reason the Ravens are always so good is because they make a million draft picks. You know, like, of course, guys pan out. They pick, you know, 13 to 14 guys, you know, every year. And to me, if you're going to get rid of those picks, it more likely not needs to be for an impactful position. And to me, a number three running back who at best will be a number two running back. I'm not sold is the kind of position that you should be doing that trade for like the Buccaneers. They moved up, you know, into the Jaguar spot in the fifth round. They took Zon McCollum, you know, an elite athlete at the cornerback position, super high ceiling. That's the kind of guy I think you should trade up for on day three. So I, I think Snoop's a, you know, he's a fine player. I do think he's a better passing down guy then he probably gets credit for I, he's not going to break a ton of tackles and he's not overly shifty but he has good hands and he can pass protect but i i think there's a reason why he wasn't a more popular name pre-draft yeah i mean he when i watched him he was honestly he had more juice than i expected because yeah. i was like okay this is going to be like a first he runs violent. it's going to be a first and second down grinder who like is going to get eight carries a game like it's, i was just expecting like another carlos hyde but he was like, again, like he's going to be a second round or a second back at best. But he was definitely just like better in general than I expected him to be. A little bit more versatile and well-rounded. And I think that's probably the biggest thing the Jaguars are looking for, considering Etienne probably has a better chance to start the year healthier than Robinson. But he also has more like significant flaws in his game. Because Robinson's kind of like, he's definitely a good straightforward rusher is his strength but he's also good at pass protecting good he's he's legit like three down back yeah and so they kind of needed that because Etienne was one of the worst pass blocking backs in the league when he was in college in college he doesn't project as a guy you want pass blocking like ever like you obviously want him running routes but other than like quick game I don't think he needs to be pass blocking right and I don't know if you want him like shoved up to the goal line coming off of a list front injury either so in terms of the type of player, I think it makes a ton of sense. And with, with a trade, like everything you made, everything you said made a ton of sense in terms of just take more opportunities rather than trusting your scouting for a fifth round guy. And that's especially so for a team like the Jaguars with so many just kind of needs and availabilities. Because a team like Tampa Bay is the one that should be going up for like a guy that they think could actually like help them, help push them to the Super Bowl for this year. Yeah. Um, but it's it's pretty interesting that the Jaguars are almost in like a like win now mode with their players because they're obviously leaning on kind of production and experience and pro ready guys, even though they had the first overall pick and were the worst team in the league last year. Yeah, no, they definitely they to me they drafted like they hated this draft class. Uh, they, <laughs> they they just wanted to get rid of the picks in this class, get the few guys they like, collect you know a pick for next year, and get the hell out of Dodge. Which right. I wait, I don't blame. Him. I didn't like this draft class. I, I, I there were certain positions gonna, uh, I, I thought was deep, but I, I didn't like this draft class. I was gonna say I feel like no one really, certainly no one like loved it. I'm, I'm, certain, I'm, I'm looking forward to never thinking about the 2022 NFL draft again. <laughs> All right. Well, we still moving on to picks. the next draft pick. <laughs> <laughs> Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters 
lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Uh, these two guys, I definitely, oh no, actually, six round pick, ouch, Alchita Baptist cornerback Gregory Jr. Um, at first, I'd never, ouch, <laughs> Alchita. That's not close at all. I don't know, John. This isn't a real school. You can't convince me. Although, I did actually see him at the um, senior bowl because I didn't recognize his name or school when I saw that the Jaguars. Washita. Washita. Okay. That sounds a lot more culture. Whatever the case, I saw this guy at the senior bowl um, because when I was there, I was mostly looking at receivers. So naturally quarterbacks, I would see some good and some bad. Of course. And, And I remember like really only having two takes. And I remember Kobe Bryant was the best corner that I saw. And I remember Gregory Jr. was the worst cornerback that I saw. You're terrible. <laughs> I, John, people were picking on him. And, like, apparently he had a good senior bowl performance. So, like, maybe I should go back and see if I was, like, wrong in the rain. Maybe the rain blurred my vision. But, like, don't, don't. I, my genuine, like, reaction to him during the senior bowl was, this guy ain't good. Yeah, I, I don't ever advise going back to the senior bowl to watch. I. I, the, the senior bowl is so weird to me because when I go back to my time, like watching it, there were some guys who were absolutely terrible in practice who are like some of the best players, you know, from that from that entire like game there now. So it's so right. hard for me to figure out like basically, you know, what what the practice reps mean and everything. But it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. I mean, he he doesn't have the profile of. You know, obviously they said they want small school guys to stand out on tape. And I think when you watch his college stuff, he does stand out, you know, in terms of his physicality and his, you know, just pure coverage ability. But he doesn't have, like, either the measurables or, like, the athletic production to be, like, one of those, you know, small school prospects who really stands out. You know, I I think there's a reason that, you know, other than the senior bowl, he had, you know, a relatively quiet process. Yeah, and his like I think he had posted a pretty good RAS yeah, score and like combine numbers, but like that I didn't watch any of his film at the senior bowl. I really didn't think that showed up he, at all. He he has good film, but I'm he, he's covering you and every every yeah. game too. So quite literally, quite literally I saw I saw you run a couple slants. <laughs> but I I, I I I think he's about drafted where he should have been. I don't have any senior bowl takes, but I it doesn't surprise me at all that that's the case considering he was coming from you know Wachita Baptist you know never had a player drafted I had plenty of people well actually me that they have a player in the hall of fame he signed as an undrafted free agent in like 1968 so great yeah didn't have a player drafted still still (laughs) but no he's a it is the great American conference which I had never heard of yeah no it's it's that sounds racist the Great American Conference. I don't. I don't <laughs> like that, man. No. It, it overall, you know, I think he's like a fine pick at that point. Like I was surprised when I saw cornerback at, at that range, but I mean, it's a sixth round. You know, I don't. I don't really have many takes past that. Like I. I don't think it's an offensive pick by any means. Like I. I. I can tell you, like picks that late can be offensive. Like Tanner Lee wasn't an offensive pick. That was a downright dastardly – like, that was – that was absolutely filthy, what, what the Tanner Lee pick was. That that was money laundering. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this was that. Does Luke Farrell in the fifth qualify? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, because he, he had great parents. <laughs> I certainly don't have any more takes on Junior, but the Jaguars, with their last pick of the draft, took another cornerback this time from an actually good football conference, Arkansas DB Monteric Brown, who led the SEC in interceptions last year. He wasn't in the Good American Conference. It was the Great American Conference. <laughs> uh, Mon- have, Mon- have you seen the new Ryan Reynolds movie? Which one? New uh, Free Guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, Free Guy. Yeah. Is that what you just got that from? No. You said... <laughs> All right, so just keep it might have been subconsciously because I saw it. Yeah, like, I saw it like a month month ago. I just saw it like a week ago. So, well, we're all right. We're in the weeds now, fellas. We're we're deep in deep in the weeds. Now, Mont- Montero oh, yeah. Brown. I thought I was surprised they double dipped that cornerback to an extent, but I mean, look at their cornerback room. You know, they're obviously they have the first three spots locked up with Darius Williams, Shaquille Griffin, and Tyson Campbell. I think spots four and five and potentially six are wide open. You know, you have Trey Herndon, Chris Clayburks, Xavier Crawford as in-house options. It makes sense to me that they would add, you know, a couple of different guys to that. Brown is like the complete opposite of Junior as a prospect, which is what's wild to me. Like Junior is a guy who you're betting on his athletic traits to outdo his production. Whereas Brown, he had really good production. It's just he... You know, he's not fast. He, he is a slow cornerback, yeah. but he, he has plenty of production to the point where, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who sticks around the NFL forever simply because he can play special teams, he's smart, and he has good ball skills. Plus, I mean, I could play cover two corner. There you go. Right. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> but I do like <laughs> I did play cornerback in high school, and then I quit after junior or freshman year. So you're what, right. high school, what high school did you go to? Ponte Vedra. Ah, I thought it was a definite blind school. All right, continue. <laughs> now, I, 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 I ouch! Was, this is completely again. Ouch! Complete divergence. But I, I had a great opportunity in high school. I'm still grateful for. I, I didn't do it, but I had a chance to go play for. St. John's uh, Country Days football team, you know, like a scholarship B center and stuff. And I ended up not doing it, but I remember going to a game when I was like considering it. Like I even, I took a visit and everything. It was awesome. Yeah. You know, I was terrible <laughs> at football. I was being pampered and everything. And I, I went to see a game and they lost to the deaf and blind school. <laughs> That's what I was like. No, they didn't. They did. I, How's that even possible? The kid, the football players aren't really. <laughs> It's complicated, but I saw that and it settled in that okay, maybe I can just stay at Oakleaf. <laughs> yeah, Fine. but even if they are, like, just the come on, <laughs> like it, it, it was it was pretty good. It was a good. That's bit. like the I was gonna say that's literally sounds like a bit from like a TV show. <laughs> it's like going to like on a scouting visit, and then the team that you're like visiting, I mean, gets beat by a deaf and blind school. That's literally out of a sitcom. The school was trash talking them <laughs> during the game. It was, it was another worldly experience. But that is, that is my oh, take wow. on the Jaguar seventh round. Uh, well, I was just gonna say about Brown that I do like the fact that he's <laughs> completely different than Junior because, like, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna get a bunch of like random seventh round dudes just for the sake of competition, you might as well get different bodies. So that makes sense. Um, and, and like, like cornerback, I'm not surprised that they don't. And for everybody that's like complain about it to me if you're going to complain about not taking a receiver complain in the top 100 you know like 
complain about the Devin Lloyd trade because it took away, you know, a fourth round pick. You could have taken a receiver. Once it got to the fifth round, there were no receivers to take, man. Like they, yeah, yeah like I, I couldn't even be offended. I think it's Snoop Connor over a receiver. Cause I'm like, I, I don't know, you know, who, what receiver would have been, you know, a, a better pick, you know, Khalil Shakir went, I think, Four or five, yeah, he went like four or five picks beforehand. I'm not even sure what. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Receivers that went after Snoop Connor, Montreal Washington from Samford, never, never heard of him. Kyle Phillips from UCLA. I mean, he's just another white slot. I, he, like that, he's quite literally like every single one that enters the NFL. He's <laughs> yeah. you know a, a replaceable guy. I think yeah, he was the only other receiver taken in that entire fifth round. I mean going to the sixth round it doesn't really look any better at all and like any significantly i mean yeah jalen naylor from michigan state i mean he's he's fine but i don't think he would have been you know made a big difference mike woods from oklahoma never heard of him i i completely agree and i i i said you know that i thought they should have taken a receiver at some point but once you once you get to a certain point you kind of made your bed you know right because like all the guys that i thought like that I just liked in, in general as prospects were kind of like the repetitive guys that they already have as slot dudes, like the Khalil Shakirs yeah. and, and the, like uh, Bo Melton's from Rucker and like just those kinds of like almost gadget guys that are taken late. Even like I said earlier, like after the third round, like Tober was still there, but like I think David Bell was probably the only receiver I would have generally be interested in right. taking. But even him, like he like fell because of his combine numbers and like yeah. – yeah, like I, I think he would have kept falling if the Browns didn't take him at 99th overall. I, I think, you know, that, like I said, there was that trio of guys at 70 between Tolbert, Bell, and Dulcich, who I thought were still interesting, but that was it. <laughs> like, yeah, after them, it, like I, I really like Shakir. I, I will say the Jaguars are lucky they didn't take Connor when Shakir was still on the board. That, that would have, I, I don't even have anything invested in their selection. That would have sent me over the edge. <laughs> like, man, what? What what are you doing exactly here? But right, well, they did make up for the wide receiver non-draft because after the draft, they signed my guy, Notre Dame wide receiver Kevin Ooh. Austin Jr. Yes, sir. Who made it two in a row last year. I tweeted a video of Andre Cisco, and then he got drafted, and then one of like three prospects, which just happened to be undrafted free agent Kevin Austin Jr. He gets picked up. Uh, so Austin is a guy that. Really, he played last year, but not really the two years before that. One year was because of an injury. One year was because of off-the-field issues, which I believe was, like, minor drugs-related. Um, but he's, like, a prototypical X receiver, lines up on the battery, pretty big guy, um, good long speed, good athleticism, good potential. I mean, he like, he's an athlete who just didn't have much production because he didn't play two years, and now it's just, like, the perfect kind of guy to take a chance on yeah no he had 54 catches in college and 48 of them came in 2021 but i mean he averaged 18 at least 18 yards per catch every every year that he recorded a catch you know he obviously there were reasons that you know he fell both you know probably for production injuries etc i know that there were you know some word of you know potentially there being a scenario where you know maybe not the best interviews in the the offseason process but i think austin is like the perfect kind of undrafted like free agent pickup like yeah you know there's probably plenty of good reasons that he went undrafted and 
yeah, you, know, you shouldn't expect him to be like a week one starter who's going to make plays, but he's the kind of guy you want to sign on draft for agency. You know, he has a lot of traits. Uh, he has the you know profile of a guy who probably should have been drafted. Like I thought he should have been like a fifth or sixth round pick because I mean he does have special teams value. You know, especially as like a gunner, so, and you know he can be a potential X. I, I really think he'll compete with LeBron Treadwell for a spot on the roster. Now that I said that, he's going to come out in mini camp and training camp and and do not he's gonna do nothing man he's gonna do a philip set where he just spends all training camp doing quite literally nothing after just think. running yeah. just running around out there Dude, he, he, <laughs> <laughs> i with that said i think that he was a good a good pick it it definitely mitigated the not taking a receiver on day three because other than shakir i would have taken him over every receiver taken like in the last three rounds Agreed. A hundred percent agree. It would be like Shakir and then like him and Bell again. Uh, and then it, uh, again, it's especially good for the Jaguars considering they need that kind of outside boundary perimeter 50, uh, 50 ball receiver. Cause most of the guys right now are more speed slot, hundred percent versatile, whatever. So um, other than, Austin, they signed a few other guys. Iowa State kicker Andrew Mevis, I think, would probably be the next, if not the most uh, important undrafted free agent signing because the Jaguars kicker Matthew Wright from last season was very recently waived by the team, which so now the competition for kicker basically is between UDFA Mevis and Carlos Santos, who signed this offseason. Is that correct? No, that was, I think, last offseason. You were thinking of Ryan Santoso. Yeah, yeah. yeah Same there thing. You go. Yeah, they, well, hey, we keep you guys up to date. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right? I, I think Mavis, it, it was hilarious. I, I did a 53-man roster prediction, had Matthew Wright as kicker, and, like, <laughs> four hours later, he got cut. <laughs> it was incredible. And, like, the like of all the ones to get wrong, it was just kicker from a yeah. UDSA, which yeah. is a couple hours later. It was pretty great. Um, But, I mean – like, I, I saw that people were interested in UAD tight end Garrett P- Prince, who is also UDFA, but I feel like he offers the same kind of skill set as Engram and Arnold. And I just, like, I don't, I feel like he's probably just not really that good and had a couple of hi- highlights that people on Twitter got excited yeah. over. So do you think him or anyone else is really noteworthy from the UDFA class? I think EJ Perry could, if they keep three quarterbacks. Yeah, I think, that's I, I a think, good one, actually. I think they would keep him over Luton. I'm actually, for people listening, I'm talking to Perry on, on Friday about the process toward, you know, ending up with the Jaguars, Doug Peterson, et cetera. So hopefully learn more about, you know, his journey to Jacksonville from Brown. But he's somebody who I, I thought he was a draftable quarterback, you know, like a six-round type guy. And, you know, obviously ended up in Jacksonville after Carson Strong went to Nevada. Uh, I, I think, you know, if they carry – three quarterbacks, which Peterson did it in three or five years at Philadelphia. I think he makes the most sense. Yeah. I mean, I was honestly a little surprised he wasn't drafted after reading about him. And then, I mean, the fact, I, he, I think he signed the biggest UDFA contract he, he, this year. He, he and uh, Austin signed the biggest on the Jaguars, and they were both like top five in the NFL. So there you go. Yeah, Carson Strong had the biggest, I think. Oh. It's is he in Philly now? Because yeah, he yeah yeah. No, Perry is in Jacksonville because Carson Strong ended up going to Philly. Oh, I thought it was Perry went to Jacksonville, which is why Strong is in Philly. Yeah, no, I, I believe the other way around. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Okay, so overall, we kind of talked about some themes of the draft, but just in terms of all of the players as a whole, what are like some kind of similarities that we've seen? Big uh, players. Really versatile, uh, obviously experienced. I mean, Trayvon Walker is a, a really young player. I think he's 21. Uh, Snoop Connor was a junior, but everybody else they took was either a senior or a redshirt senior. You know, they took three senior bowl guys and Muma, Fortner, and uh, junior and I mean Devin Lloyd was at Utah you know for a, a, a hot minute you know he's going to be 20 like I think both him and Fortin are going to be 24 during the rookie season so definitely a big emphasis on experience and it seems like they want guys who are ready to go right now for sure I think culture and character is also probably a bigger emphasis than maybe it was in like uh previous years for the Jaguars yeah because they, they mentioned it I mean every it's not just the Jaguars. Every team will do background checks with like high school and college coaches. But I mean, I think based on the players they picked and based on the press conferences, uh, culture and character was definitely a big emphasis as well. But in terms of like, I think the youth versus experience debate is super interesting. I saw something on Twitter, like a chart of NFL general managers and how old or young the prospects they generally draft are. And the GM's, in the past, like five-ish years, who typically draft to the youngest players are people like Andrew Barry, like and analytics, like sharp-minded um, people like that. And then the, all the people with Jake not prospects are like Trent Baalke, Bill Belichick, John Elway, and like football guys. And it, so, didn't see, it didn't feel like they took old guys last year. That's fair, but like this year, like a hundred. No, this year, yeah, this year. I, I probably should run the numbers on this or something, but I'd, I'd be shocked if they didn't have one of the oldest draft classes. Right. So I'm just curious of like what your take is in general, like more so like if you're GM, I guess, of what you like, do you think there's a better way to lean of youth versus experience or is it just, I mean, I feel like the right answer is probably that it depends on the prospect, but obviously yeah. some of these GMs are like way on one side or another. I, I think, I think it depends on the prospect. Like Chad Muma, he, he was a senior because Logan Wilson was starting at linebacker, you know, forever. Uh, De Devin Lloyd, you know, could have been a first round pick like two years ago and just ended up staying at school. You know, normally, right. in, in my opinion, you want to watch out for guys who are late bloomers. But I mean, even Fortner. Yeah, he only started one year at center, but he started, you know, multiple years uh, at guard. So I, I think it's important to look for guys who, if they're older, that they at least have like several years of production, you know, like. To, to me, old prospects you should be wary of are, like, guys like Velas Jones who could not crack USC's rotation despite being there for, like, five years. And, you know, he's 24 years old. I, I think I, I think he might have actually turned 25 years old yesterday, and he had, like, one season of playing time. Those prospects, to me, are the ones you want to stay away from. Okay, that's definitely fair. Uh, okay, let's talk about needs for the future. Because although they did a pretty good job, the Jaguars this offseason of kind of filling up their most glaring holes, obviously they're still one of the le uh, or lesser talented teams in the league. So next offseason, in terms of projecting biggest needs on offense, I'll probably say receiver, then tight end, specifically in line, like wide tight end. And then um, interior offensive linemen. I would maybe put that in first. Interior line. 
No, tight tied in first. I mean, they uh, yeah. do that in 23. Like, Luke, Luke Farrell is the only tight end on the roster next season. And the best thing yeah. you can say about him is he has nice parents. <laughs> I think the like, definitely in terms of that, – That was me. Um, I'm sure he's a great ex- guy. In terms of in terms of expiring contracts, tight end is definitely the biggest need. I'm just kind of assuming that they'll re-sign yeah. or extend like at least one of Arnold or Ingram. Safety. So for defense, I would say, like I think just in general, like defensive line is 100% their biggest 2023 need. Because if you look at the expiring contracts for them, like I think the only D tackles they really have are Hamilton. Foley and Hamilton. Like I think that's genuinely it. That's probably they, it's, it's probably about the time you'd want to move on from Brown, anyways. Or I think Brown is going into his last season right now. I I I think it would make sense. Well, that that's a good point. Interior defense line is probably up there. That's a good point. And then RRH, I think technically will be under contract in twenty twenty three, but I'll be shocked if he wasn't cut or like restructured or something. Roy like Roberts. That, Roy Roberts. <laughs> uh, and then like Smoot is going to be a free agent. Um. Arden Key, who they signed this year, is going to be a free agent. I think there's uh, – I feel like one other guy. But basically, Tufili, their rookie from last year, plus Hamilton and Foy is three guys. While they have maybe not a bunch of high-end talent, yeah. but pretty good depth in the D-line now. So and D-line we still have no definitely. idea if Tufili can play, honestly. Yeah, so that's – I think undoubtedly, like the that's a good glare, point. the glaring position of need for next offseason. and then it's just a matter of like, does Barch develop so you don't really need an interior line? Does like Duzay Jones and Kurt, Christian Kirk actually like live up to the contracts, and you don't need to, <laughs> and you don't need to like get another receiver? Um, I think D tackle is like <laughs> I think, I'll, I'll go on record now and say I doubt it. I no, I agree. I just feel like D tackle is like the one that they're going to need no matter no matter what, and the rest is just going to like depend on how the season shakes out. After signing a million dudes and making seven draft picks, they still seemingly have a ton of needs next year. Right. I, I they got linebacker figured out. Yep. Yeah, like they got linebacker figured out. But I here here's my question: What, what where would running back rank for you? I mean, obviously it depends on ETN, but say ETN has like just an okay season and Robinson, you know, it doesn't look 100. percent How high on that list is running back for you? I wouldn't put it very high on the list, just because I think running back is a position that like you don't necessarily need to look for a long term solution at it. Like I think you can just like basically sign a free agent that like may or may not be washed, but can at least give you production for one season. True. Um, I think it's like since it's like we know it's such a replaceable position. I think if they're bad at it for a year, it's not a big deal. Like whereas I think if they're like just straight up bad at cornerback like they were last year, then that's a bigger deal. And you need to like go sign a guy like Darius Williams. True. That's fair. That and I, I think that's definitely fair. And man, that, is there a position that you would say right now that they look like they have their strength heading into? You know the future. I obviously I feel like you got to say inside linebacker, but you have to say linebacker. inside linebacker. I would consider corner. Like, not a lot of teams have three like startable cornerbacks That's on fair. the roster. That's fair. Because cornerback is like you mentioned it earlier, but like a position that every single team needs. So like, if you said corner was a need, I mean they drafted two in this draft, um, but. Like I think a Rayshon Jenkins upgrade would be pretty nice. I I I think it's clear that he's not he's not going to be on the roster past this season. 
Yeah, it's just about, like I think the hope for him is just like that he's a product of his of his environment. So like if the defense overall gets a lot better, then like maybe he'll get better with them. But like for last sure. year when last year when the defense was bad, he was bad. So yeah. Um, but like quarterback quarterback is like honestly the only offensive position need. There's hurt running backs. You don't like expiring contracts for tight ends. Some unsures, Mar- unfilled room for a receiver. Marvin's expiring at receiver. You you don't know what Lavisca is going to be, right? They 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 just at the point where there are a lot more questions than answers with this team right now. Even at tackle, where they have like I think three guys that could start tomorrow, like mm-hmm. Little or Taylor is on an expiring contract, and like Little is still a young and fairly unproven player. So yeah, there's there's a lot of positions that could go, but like I said, I think. D tackles far and away going to be their uh, or just D line in general maybe. Hey, you were like a slot name. You're one of the first people to uh, call linebacker as a giant need. So, <laughs> and I'll, that I'll, was strictly because of Damian Wilson. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll remember you being the first one to say that they need defensive line more than receiver next year. All right, bucket, bucket, bucket. You got it. Um, do you have any? I Schedule, mean, unless you schedule takes. Sure, I yeah. have zeros because I just don't care, and I, I think don't know why I know what else does. But I, I, I think I think it's hilarious they're playing Carson Wentz in Week One. Yeah, I do like that honestly. I, to see that they're going to play him in back-to-back regular season games. Like I, I, he, he might have like some trauma, <laughs> like like yeah. legitimately, and the the fact that it's like Doug Peterson's former pupil and Brandon Sheriff's favorite team. Like there are so many storylines. I, I just I say do not let an injured a player who's ever been injured like in the last 24 months on on fedex field right yeah certainly not i I mean if travis Etienne had to miss week one i think everybody would understand yeah i was about to say the same thing uh because like with james robinson too where i I, i'm kind of assuming robinson will miss week one but even if he could play like i don't know that i'd want him to on that field no so i I, I think that's like I, I saw there are other reports of them potentially getting Dallas week one. And you know, obviously they're getting Washington now, but I mean if you're gonna open the season, you know, at Washington or versus Dallas at home, I think you definitely want to start at Washington. Like obviously, yeah, it's the Cowboys at home, but you want to start your season versus Washington, not Dallas. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And then I I think the Thursday night game with the Jets uh, on the 22nd will be interesting. It's just, to me, the Jaguars and the Jets, they're perfect, like, comparables because they've basically been on the same exact trajectory in terms of where they're at in, like, a rebuild the last two years. Uh, Like, you know, they both hired a head coach. They both drafted a quarterback. They both had a ton of money and a ton of draft picks to spend. They both, you know, traded uh, their building block of the defense, et cetera. They both made – significant investments at receiver wait yeah <laughs> that, that's why like to me like the jets are a perfect team to compare the jaguars to like how they're doing things differently so i i think that would be an interesting game and oh buddy if trevor lawrence starts is zero two versus zach wilson in his career that that's going to be the takes are going to be a flying my friend <laughs> you think wilson's going to break another 50 yard touchdown run that was one of the craziest things i've ever seen likely Likely. Like, like, likely. Yeah, no, that, that was just abhorrent defense. Um, so, I mean, that was the, that's the first time I've actually heard it's the Jets. I was hearing all day those the Lions. Yeah, it's week 16, I think. Week 16. Is that going to be their only primetime game, at least as far as you know? I think so. 
All right. Woo-woo. Yep. Hey, I, I always said that the allure of Trevor Lawrence would bring them big-time <laughs> games, like Thursday night football in Cincinnati or <laughs> against the New York Jets, you know. Greatest show on Turkey. Jets. Yeah, no, but but I mean, I, until you win games, you're, just, you're not going to get primetime games unless you're in a big market. Like Chicago's, they're horrific, obviously, but they're in a big market, you know. Like if the Jaguars want to get primetime games, they have to win. I mean, even after they almost went to the Super Bowl, they had one primetime game scheduled for 2018, and then they got flexed out of it because they yeah. sucked. <laughs> that was brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess the only other uh, mentionable game – would be London, which we already knew about before this week. I, maybe I, at the I, beginning of this week. It, to me, uh, what was it? Doug Peterson. Did, did you see his comments about, like, the schedule at the Iceman game the other night? No. He was, like, talking about how he was interested to see the balance of road and home games because he's like, because, you know, we, we have, like, no home games. <laughs> it made me laugh. <laughs> like, this is the year they have nine road games. But add in London, I'm sorry, as much as – you know, that they call London a home game on the schedule. It is very much the biggest road game of the season. So, I mean, they basically have 10 road games and seven home games. Yeah. It's a little brutal. So uh, I, I would hate that as a coach. I, I would, I, 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 I literally get fought at that. I, I, he, 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 cause he's normally a guy who's, he's really reserved, you know, when talking, especially, you know, to the media. And he just goes, yeah, we have like no home games. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> he, he hates the London stuff. You can tell for sure. And he, he's definitely a big, like, home guy, too, after coaching at the link. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, so it, they, they, they get the Eagles in week four. Okay. That's, that's you know, interesting. Do you know where it is? Philly. Oh, my dad is a Birds fan, so we really? go with him. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is he, uh, is he a Nick Foles believer? Uh, he likes them. I don't think he's a believer. But I mean, he more I, than he more than likes him. He has a Foles jersey. Yeah. I, I, I guarantee you, I can find a picture of Foles in your parents' house before I can find a picture of you guys. <laughs> Hell out of my face. Uh, what what NFL league wide draft classes do you like that weren't the Jaguars? I, I thought the Ravens draft was awesome. I thought the Chiefs draft was really good. Um, the Jets took three really good players with the first four picks. And they also drafted Jermaine Johnson. That was a, uh, that was a good draft class. Despite, (laughs) despite reaching a little bit for Jermaine Johnson, that was a good draft class. Um, Dang. What, what other classes? There were a couple I really like. I remember hating Washington and new England's draft is drafts. I, I I thought those were just the absolute worst. Um, trying to think who, who else I liked. I, I honestly did like Carolina's uh draft. I'm trying to think who else here. Uh, the Eagles uh getting Jordan Davis, Cam Jurgens, and like AJ Brown and the Kobe Dean. That's obviously like obscene. Uh, yeah, the Eagles definitely had my favorite draft. I like, I, I like the Packers draft. Like, I, I hate the Christian Watson pick, but Cray Walker, Wyatt, Sean Ryan, Zach Tom. You know, they took Kingsley uh, in Eggberry when he should have gone over. Uh, she Walker drafted late is a good pick. Um, I didn't I didn't like the Kenny Pickett pick. Otherwise, I would say uh, the Steelers. I'm, I'll say it. I, I like the Seahawks draft. They, they got good players, man. Charles Cross yeah. is a good player. Kenneth Walker. Yeah, it's hilarious that they drafted a running back, but he's a good player. Boy, Mafe is a fine, you know, player. 
a Tariq Rowland, Col- Colby Bryant, Bo Melton, like Tyreek Smith. Like these, <laughs> these are good players they took. They're good players, man. I tell yeah. you, I mean, they got my guy, Kobe Bryant. Uh, I like their the tackle, uh, Abraham Mitchell. Is that his name? Yeah. The second tackle they got, and then like Cross is incredible. So like they they might have two bookend tackles, and maybe two bookend corners if because I'm I'm definitely a believer in Bryant. But then I think like if you're gonna have a co- coaching staff coach up like an athlete, yeah. it might as well be Seattle's uh, drafts. Brian I hated drafts. I hated other than uh, New England's and Washington's. I hated Arizona's draft. You know, yes. using a first round pick on Hollywood Brown and then taking your third best tight end with your next pick. I was, I was like, what are you doing here? Like they, they didn't need Trey McBride. You know, they, they, they very much did not need him. And they just I, signed Zach Ertz to a three year deal. He's yeah. like the ninth highest paid tight end in the league right now. And I would have loved the giants draft. If they didn't take one Robinson, like a hundred picks too soon. Yeah. I agree with that. And Chicago's been draft. I hated Chicago's draft. I, I absolutely detest Chicago's draft. Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that first three picks I, disgust me. I think Chicago is the worst, honestly, but uh, like, I, I think the the two defensive backs that took are good players. It's just, yeah, take somebody on offense. Yeah, I did not like the um, the Saints draft because Olave was one of my favorite receivers, but they traded up a like absolutely absurd amount of draft capital to get him, and then they also took Trevor Penning, which is like he's terrible. I, yeah, terrible. And, like, if there's any, like, coaching staff that I think could, like, make them into an all-pro, then obviously it's the Saints. So, like, for, the, the, for, for the fit, I'll give them a little flexibility. But I, I still mean, don't they, look at 19. They only had five picks, too. That's pretty bad. Right. So, like, maybe they're good players. But even if they are, like, you're giving up so much, like, for Jameis Winston, the leader team. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the Bills, I thought, kicked it out of the park because I, I love Kiro Alam. As a player and a fit there, Shakira was a good snag in the fifth. James Cook is going to be pretty fun to watch for them in their offense. Um, let's see. I, I agree with the Packers had a good draft, in my opinion, even though like they didn't take a receiver in round one. What do you think about the um, Titans draft? Because at first it was like the worst thing ever, especially on night one when they traded AJ Brown. I was just like laughing at like Titans fans, but. Then, like, once the actual draft is over, I think they might have actually done a decent job of not trying to do, like, what the Saints did and, like, buying in right now um, and are rather just kind of, like, taking a breath and knowing that they might not. I mean, they're, like, they've been 8-8, eight and eight, I feel like, every season yeah. for the past three years, and they already signed Henry and Tannehill to massive contracts, which, like, at this point, you know, is, like, a bad move because I feel like you'd rather, much rather have A.J. Brown but you can't really do anything about it. So to trade Brown for a first and take what feels like a clone of his for a lot less money for the next four years feels like a decent trade-off. And then I like McCreary, the corner they took out in the second round out of Auburn more than it seems like most people do. Um, I feel like there was a couple other guys later that I like too, honestly. I like, I like the draft too. Yeah, no, because uh, Malik Willis is the one I'm forgetting. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, I, I don't really like Traylon Burks. Like, I thought he was like, he, he's not even somebody I, I honestly would have taken like top fifty, not alone top twenty. But other, other than him, I, 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 they took good players. I mean, I graded Burks as like a like fringe first, second round guy. So like, I didn't necessarily like 
where he was taken in terms of value. But with that said, I think the fit is like so good. I think he was like one of the most like fit depended like prospects in the draft. And I think Tennessee is going to be pretty good 100%, for him. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, I mean, I, I think overall, like if I had to, like obviously, Jags fans, you know, complete copium, lost it over the consensus rankings having the Jaguars near the bottom. I think if you told me the Jaguars had like a bottom half of the league draft, I'd, I'd understand it. Cause I mean, I, I like the first four picks, but they're also like, it's like two, two of the best players they took. There are flaws of the process. Trayvon Walker. I think he's a good player, but still there's never been a number one overall pick with his profile ever taken. Uh, if so, if your most sound pick at the first four picks was a center, I can understand, you know, that draft class being kind of like I, I completely get why people are getting the Jaguars like C minuses and D's, etc. Right. Yeah. I think I saw on the athletic they had like a consensus big board value ranking and the Jaguars like they're only I think they only had one um, pick that was like surplus value and it was either Fortner or Muma, if that. Yes, and then I think they also like even though like I'm a, I'm a, I think that the trades are like fine. Like, I think they did technically lose value objectively if yeah. you're grading it. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think they won any of the trades they did. I Like, I think the Jags honestly had a, <laughs> a good to solid draft because they took good to solid players. But yeah, same. As, you, as, you, as you said, I'm not surprised to see them yeah. as a bottom half ranking. I, I don't think their process was good, but I think they took some good players. But I will say, I, I, I think they went 0 for 3 trade-wise, like in terms of value. I, I think they got pants to trade them. Which to me is not a good thing moving forward because I mean it just you know it looks like it's amateurish in terms of you know the front office in terms of valuation. Well, that's a good segue into our last segment, which is um, Twitter questions or ask me any quick thing questions or whatever you call it. Do we have any? We have one question from Jason Miller. Shout out Jason for being the only person to comment for my tweet or just interact with it in general. He's, Jason says, what's one thing that the Jags may still try to solve through a trade before the season starts? Which I think is pretty interesting, given like what you just said about them, maybe like low-key getting fleeced. But then also they made two pretty low-key but good trades last offseason yeah. in getting veter- veteran starters in. Or I don't know how much they really started, honestly. But veteran good guys in Malcolm Brown and Dan Arnold. I don't know. I really, I don't think they're trading for a receiver to have, you know, that that the time that they were interested in trading for a receiver was before they signed Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. So they're not in that same situation now. I don't think that, I don't know where this team is, would be making a trade for a player. I, I, I really don't. I, before free agency, I think you could have argued for a couple spots, but you know, not linebacker. I don't think defensive line. I don't think edge rusher. I don't think secondary. I, I just, you know, maybe if a premier tight end becomes available, but like to that me, was going to be mine. It's yeah. like, it's like Engram or Arnold gets injured, and then like you're like kind of sort of scrapping for the playoffs, and there's like a guy that's uh, has his contract being expired this year. Like if like Ertz was like on an expiring contract or something, then like I feel like that'd be a hot trade yeah. rumor. Would and, be like, and they were, they were interested in Ertz before he. Resigned his deal. I, 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 this is just my personal opinion. I think that that's probably like one move this offseason they wish happened was that they were able to get Hertz. Gotcha. Hertz or Ertz? Ertz. 
Zach Hurts. Yeah, not Jalen Hurts. I, I I I don't know what they could have done with Jalen Hurts. Oh no, I was talking about Hay- Hayden Hurts. Oh, Hayden Hurts. Oh, oh Christ, no, that would have been. <laughs> No. I was just making sure we're on the same page. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> no, the the hate, the hate, the them acquiring Hayden Hurst stuff ended in 2018. Mm-hmm. No matter how much but, certain members of the the beat, uh, you know, conglomerate, you know, want to bring him to Jacksonville. Uh, 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 yeah, I think after the Devonte Parker trade, like they weren't going to trade for a receiver, and yeah. then it's like. Like, I feel like the only really, like, holes other than tight end that they would, like, want to fill midseason, or I guess early season was technically the question, would be safety and interior line. But I, I also don't know if those are, like, big enough holes that you feel like you need to make a trade, so. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So, I I, I just I, – I don't think they're in a position right now. Like, I maybe after the season, but right now I don't think so. Yep. So, maybe tight end. I guess that's yeah. the official answer. All right, Sean. Any – any last any parting hot takes? any parting hot takes any parting hot takes from John? Um, I am thrilled that this isn't a hot take. It's just a toast. I'm thrilled that so many people got gotten by the NFL leaks a schedule <laughs> leaks account. Uh, my hot take is that if you were fooled by that account, you shouldn't be allowed to tweet until the regular season begins. Aside from that, my hot take is. I mean, I'll make a draft related. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have traded up for Devin Lloyd. I think Devin Lloyd's an awesome player. I wouldn't have done that trade. I would have just stayed at thirty three. If New England wants to take Devin Lloyd, I would. I would have let him. That so. That's my hot take. I think Devin Lloyd's awesome, but I question the move to get him. All right. That's like right. properly hedge. <laughs> there you go. Well, I don't have any hot takes. You got nothing. You don't got. You don't have any any hot takes for me. I always use up on my hot takes because I write them down. True. And say them in the show. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. You see, I'm I I freestyle everything. I don't. I'm a journalist who writes nothing down. <laughs> I do like the uh a good take you said earlier was boy is not going to be like the best starting linebacker by midseason. I like that one a lot. He might be the third. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's why it's a good take. Oh goodness, this team. I, this I team. like I like Zay Jones. That's my take. I've been kind of quiet about that, but I like him. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one to end on, guess. It, it, you can find <laughs> if you want me to cut the podcast recording before that part, just text me after. You can I find can. me on Twitter at Gus underscore Logue, where you can join Jason and commenting uh, pod questions in the future. John, what's your Twitter? At underscore John underscore Shipley. If you went to the John Shipley, Minnesota, you went too far. <laughs>